You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. We're here Friday at CNU 24 in the Detroit Opera House uh, uh, lobby. And I have with me the what we're calling the Strong Towns all-star lineup. (laughs) We, We put out a call for Strong Towns members and said, hey, who would like to be on the podcast? And we had a, a number of people uh, offer, and I thought that was awesome. And so I really want to just explore who you are and your stories and a, a little bit about what you do. So let's start to my right with the mayor. Can you just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about where you're from? Uh, good morning, Chuck. It's glad. Oh, hang on one sec. Okay. Yep, you got to lean into that. Moment. Okay. Yeah, that one is. Good morning, Chuck. It's uh, great to be here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. You're good now. And uh, I'm a mayor from Bryant, Arkansas. It's a geographical center of the state of Arkansas, fastest growing city in central Arkansas. And our greatest challenge is answering to that growth. It doesn't matter who's mayor. It doesn't matter who's running the show. It doesn't matter. It, we're going to grow. But the responsibility that I'm challenged with as a mayor is how, you know, how to best answer to that so that we don't just continue to make the same mistakes that America has made over and over and over again in yeah. cities. So we have a blank slate. We're kind of a new town. We've gone from 5,000 to 20,000 people in a pretty short period of time. And our growth, and we're we're continuing to grow. So, five thousand to twenty thousand in two decades. Oh my gosh, that is a lot of growth. It's a lot of growth. You were elected in 2014? 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. So you've been mayor for a Six, while yeah. now. Mm-hmm. How's uh, I, I, talk a little bit about the transition and the now? Like, w- w- what's w- different from then to now? Yeah. Um. Well, when I first came into office, I just it, I just wanted. To, to create great place. I didn't even know that's what it was called. And so I was very fortunate to get hooked up with Dan Burden uh, to start with. And then I um, got introduced to Strong Towns, CNU, National Town Builders Association, just started building kind of a resource well of how, how to do this differently. So I got introduced to the, well, the first thing you need to do is a, a complete street policy. So we worked really quickly on getting that done. We put a policy in place. One of the first things we did was we put a policy in place to stop urban sprawl apartment development um, in Bryant. And we put the, we put the brakes on that. And uh, now we have two um, smart codes um, in town, one on the south side of town and one on the north side of town. We have the complete street policy. We almost have completed our um, master bike ped plan that we'll marry to that. So we've done some things from a policy standpoint, and and we've started seeing developers start to change a little bit in how they're developing. And um, and you came into Fayetteville a a few years ago, and I sent some of my team up there. And I want to tell you, things like that that are happening at the at the local level, just educating how to do things better. People want to do things better. It's just getting that getting that message down and getting those policies in place. And now we're at a place that um, it's not easy, but it's um, I, I need a, I need a planner. I've kind of I've driven this as far as I can without. And the next step is to get a planner in place that absolutely gets it and knows how to implement these policies. Now I'm going to say something, and then I, I'm going to say it because I want you to refute it. Okay. okay? Um, why do I have anything to learn from Arkansas? What a, it's, it's a backwater, backwoods <laughs> kind of place. 
I don't believe the best thing about that. The best thing the best thing about that is it is a very well kept secret. And as I've um, traveled to other states and then and seen what we're doing in Arkansas, you just if you're not from there and you've not been there, you wouldn't believe it. I'll just give you an example. Downtown Little Rock. uh, When I was in college, I worked in downtown Little Rock twenty something years ago at a dental practice, and. I hated working there. I wouldn't, I would leave as fast as I could get there. And I only worked there for about nine months because it was just, it felt so dangerous. It felt so dark and just dismal down there. And downtown Little Rock is off the hook right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. The bridges connecting North Little Rock to uh, Little Rock, the, the bike ped system, the, the restaurants that are coming in down there. I mean, it's just, there's, um, housing loft housing apartments and it's beautiful and then if you go into the northwest arkansas corridor every downtown in the northwest arkansas corridor is is building out their downtown area in an incredible way and it's just people people even in arkansas will visit bentonville and it's like stepping into a movie set yeah to to step onto their 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 town square to see what they've done there so it's it's really incredible kevin i i want to chat introduce yourself and then I want to chat a little bit about um, San Antonio. Okay, my name is uh, my name is Kevin Barton. Um, I'm actually have uh, nothing professionally aligned with this. I'm a uh, I, I'm a professor in information systems in uh, Texas A&M San Antonio. Um, you know what? You can just grab that mic. Just like lift it out of. The, yeah, there you go. Here, unclick it. You can just use it like that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's perfect. And so anyways, uh, kind of my background is I was, I was career Air force. I spent, um, 17, 17 years overseas in Asia, Europe, and, uh, Central America and Panama. And, um, kind of near the end of my career, um, I didn't really, I wasn't eager to come back to the U.S. because I was living in, in Germany in a small village and, yeah. uh, you know, you yeah. could walk everywhere. There was, it was about a 10 minute walk to the train station. And so when I would have to come back to the U.S. about uh, every couple months. Sure. And I would just walk to the train station with my luggage, get on the train, take the train to the airport. And, like, I, I rode a bike to work, and I, like, I just hated cars. And so I wasn't really that eager to come back to the U.S. And um, But, you know, you retire, and you eventually got to do what you got to do, right? Right. So, um, so I came back, and, um, and uh, my wife and I, we were living kind of in the suburban area of San Antonio, but... Uh, she had a business on uh, on the San Antonio's west side, which is uh, much more urban, and we ended up renting a house close to the business to stay there some nights. and uh, And her mom started staying there and kind of squatted and kicked us out, so we ended up <laughs> buying a house across the street, and it was like two blocks from the store. And um, but it wasn't, you know, like the neighborhood was a low income neighborhood it had it had plenty of problems. And sure, um, uh, she built a new store. Uh, which uh, was, you know, like it's a masonry building. It's a, it turned out to be a really nice building. Um, but we were spending a lot more time down there. Just really had given up the idea of wanting to spend a lot of time commuting. And, um, and so what she really wanted was a nice neighborhood. And so she ran for city council uh, and uh, beat the incumbent and, uh, and has been on council for, uh, this is her second term. Nice. And, and, um, you know, and at, at, I think at the time she ran, maybe we hadn't really heard of uh, strong towns, but like that concept of walkability was was really one of her priorities, and um, and so then somewhere in there we started reading strong towns and really kind of gave us uh, the perspective 
to be able to make a business case for it. Right. Fantastic. San Antonio has some of the best walkable spaces in America, but within blocks of some of the worst, in my opinion. What are some of the challenges that you see in San Antonio? Um, you know, so we've got some really good walkable spaces, and uh, and because um, the Riverwalk is a like a, 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 a world class model. I mean, it is like one of the fantastic places. It is for entertainment. Um, True, that's a good. It's a good point. Yep. And and it's a lot harder to live there. Although that's changing fast. Not not the Riverwalk per se, but central certainly the downtown area and Midtown. Just you know, Midtown is. I didn't even realize there was a distinction between downtown and midtown until recently. I saw it on the map. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was like we kind of felt that it was the same thing. Right. Um, but there's a lot of housing going in. Uh, Mayor Mayor um, uh, Castro had started an initiative called uh, the Decade of Downtown, and there's been a lot of emphasis on putting housing in there. Um, and so now there's a grocery store in downtown. Right. And, and things are happening very fast. Um, we actually only live two miles from the central business district. And, but in that neighborhood, you know, it's much lower income than downtown and midtown, um, that, and even south town. But, you know, if you do the walk scores, we have a higher walk score. Yeah. Um, we have grocery stores, laundry services, retail. Um, but what we don't have is like so much beautification. And so I think, you know, in those neighborhoods that are, that are kind of seen as not so great and walkable, a lot of them, what's lacking is beautification beautification when you look down the sidewalks and you see utility poles and street signs and stuff right in the middle of the sidewalk um that's a problem in low-income neighborhoods sure that doesn't really exist in the high-income neighborhoods right right could you pass that mic to marielle go ahead introduce yourself i'm marielle brown i'm a bicycle and pedestrian advocate from st louis one of our early, early, early members, right? Yes, I'm a founding circle Are member. Are you a founding circle member? Yes. Wow, thank you. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, one of the original group. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about St. Louis. I, 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 I want to, I, I, I want to give people because St. Louis, you know, I think what a lot of people around the country think of St. Louis, they think of Ferguson because mm-hmm. that's been the, the recent news thing, and and also you know a, a city that. Um, maybe fairly or unfairly exudes a lot of struggle yet when we when i was there with you in st louis gorgeous university great transit line downtown just like oozing with potential mm-hmm. talk a little bit about st louis as you know it i mean i think that oozing with potential is a great way of talking about it uh there are beautiful parts of the city you know we have um we have absolutely amazing architecture if you've never been going into the neighborhoods it's absolutely it, it's amazing. We used to have a city ordinance that required you to build in brick. And so we just have these beautiful brick townhomes everywhere. It's gorgeous. Uh, amazing parks. We had the great uh, fortune of being laid out by French and German uh, settlers. And the amount of parkland is beautiful. We do have one transit line that's good. We Beyond that, we really don't have great transit. So, But we also have a lot of serious issues. I think... You know, St. Louis is similar to Detroit in many ways. We actually lost a higher percentage of our population than Detroit has. Uh, we're down, I think they're down 61% and we're down like 65% of our peak yeah. population. Yeah. Yeah. So we have huge struggles. And I think that one thing that's um, 
really interesting being in Detroit is that people can talk frankly about their struggles here. You know, they acknowledge the issues. And in St. Louis, uh, shockingly, I think our leadership still has a hard time admitting that we're struggling. They, they want to put a, a happy face on everything. It's like, no, we're actually the most segregated city in the U.S. We have lost 65% of our population and they're not coming back. You know, we have serious, serious issues. And then they're like, well, we're not Detroit. It's like, <laughs> actually, yeah. Detroit might be ahead because they've acknowledged right. that they're Detroit. <laughs> right. It, Missouri has had this series of, of transportation spasms, maybe, is a, is a way that I would describe it. Uh, maybe a polite and, way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when I was there, we were, we were having this very, uh, one of the meetings that, that we pulled off, we had this very high-level conversation uh, with transportation people and, and showed them how, like, on your transit line, mm-hmm. you have this billion-dollar investment, but when you get off, you, you can't, like, there, there aren't even sidewalks. There's not even a place... You, you don't, it doesn't connect to any of the surrounding neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. These are really cheap, inexpensive fixes. Mm-hmm. How much of the, 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 the battle there is just kind of reorienting the mindset uh, and seeing these opportunities that are like laying there in plain sight? And I think that is 100% the challenge. Um, and the St. Louis region, uh, we have, you know, this kind of, we have this habit of just Ovi saying, well, that's the way it's Ovi's been, or, oh, we can't do this because of the state legislature, which doesn't always connect. Um, and we also have a huge amount of division within our, within our government. We have something like over 90 municipalities in St. Louis County, which is the suburbs of the city of St. Louis. And the city of St. Louis is its own county. So a lot of times when you're trying to address an issue, you can't even figure out whose mind to change. And then, you know, maybe (laughs) you might change their mind, but it doesn't matter because a block over, there's someone else who is causing the problem. So your sidewalk can't connect. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a huge issue. Uh, there, there are many different things we need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. You, you chose St. Louis though. I mean, we, we talked a little bit this morning. (laughs) I'm going to give like the brief Marielle by Eugene, Oregon, Mm -hmm. uh, Hiroshima, Japan. Paris, um, Korea, and I don't know the city in Korea. Seoul. Seoul, Korea, and now St. Louis. And, and you have chosen to make St. Louis your home. Yes. Why? <laughs> um, I would be lying if I didn't say it was because I moved to St. Louis on a whim in order to find a job. Mm-hmm. And then I got married. I met my husband a few months later and got married, which was the driving force behind me staying. But now I, I love being there and I want to be there because it's a city that has so much potential. You know, uh, I lived in Portland for a long time in there. When, when you want to change the way the transportation system works and add in a cycle track, and then everyone argues about congestion to a certain degree, you know, well, I would dismiss like uh, whatever, you know, it's induced demand there are actually cars in that lane that you're going to get rid of. Sure. But in St. Louis, if you wanted to widen your sidewalk, <laughs> if you wanted you're to put in a cycle track, ghost cars of the future. Right. <laughs> yeah. And now they're kind of admitting that the cars aren't even going to come back. You know, Yeah. we still have, we still have our state DOT still projects that there will be growth on their roads in the city. Right. But they, they kind of admit, you know, like, Well, they're also projecting a multi-billion, you know, tens of billions of dollars shortfall. So maybe there's a, maybe there's a congruency (laughs) there we can help them reach. They got over that. 
Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, to a degree. They found a new way to, to scare everyone, but they did have to admit that they didn't actually have that shortfall. Yeah. So. Well, pass the yeah. mic around to Andrew, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chat with Ian. Ian, you want to share this mic with me? Oh, sure. This is good. We can, we can do this right here. Um, tell us who you are and uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I guess like Kevin, I don't necessarily have a professional obligation here. Um, Dude, we're none of us. I mean, no. <laughs> well, the best Strong Towns members have yeah. no professional uh, good. Okay. connection. Right? Great, then I'm good. Yeah, so I, I grew up in the Detroit area. Uh, right now I live in Ann Arbor. I work for an information company there. Um, so, this, you know, the CNUs in the past have been in distant cities, and I may have, you know, fantasized about checking it out, but... You know, once I learned that it was going to be in Detroit this year, I thought, well, I've got to go. You know, I, I guess I had been familiar with new urbanism since maybe the early 2000s, um, in the late 90s. Yeah, I yeah. think, you know, Detroit was one of the most sprawling cities, along with maybe Atlanta and Miami. I mean, we didn't really even have a growing regional population, but we were still spreading out. And, I, and you know, me, you know, I grew up south of Detroit in a semi-rural area, so a lot of, you know, trees, woodlots, forests were being cut down. And I just, I thought, why is this ha happening? This is ugly and I, I don't like it. Right. And so when I came upon uh, Suburban Nation by uh, Andres, Andres and, Jeff Speck uh, and, and uh, uh, yeah, who's white. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was a revelation and I thought, well, this is great. So it's kind of been, you know, on my mind for a number of years. I, I got kind of more into the transition towns, kind of peak oil thing for a while in the mid mid two thousands. Yep. Um, but now I'm kind of more interested in this again, especially as it's coinciding with the changes that are happening in Detroit. Um, I've, you know, I I went to school here. I went to Wayne State, so I was here in the mid nineties when things were much more dead. And uh, to see. You know, it's, it's kind of exciting for me to experience it vicariously. You know, I don't live in Detroit anymore, but, you know, I read about it. I, I, you know, I can read about it online. Right. And I come down occasionally and I think, wow, this is, this is really great. So I want to ask you, this is your first CNU. It is. What's your impression so far? Um, I, I like it so far. It seems like everyone here is happy to be here. Um, had some nice conversations. Yeah. I, I think I was a little intimidated at first. Just, you know, who are these people, these movers <laughs> and shakers, you know. But yeah. I feel like when I've, whenever I've conversed with anyone, I, you know, I understand what they're talking about. I know the, I kind of know the lingo. It, I've, I've been steeped in it long enough to be able to relate. Yeah. And have so, good so what's your profession? What's your, like, what do you, what do you, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a supervisor for uh, this company called ProQuest. Okay. So, you know, they do a lot of, you know, databases for researchers and academia. And so you're a management guy. Well, I, it's yeah, just as a fluke. I didn't. This yeah. is no plan of mine. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think I, to me, into, I think the fascinating thing about CNU and the fascinating thing really about Strong Towns is, uh, you know, uh, we have in our membership elected officials, we have in our membership advocates, but we have a lot of people who are not you're just like interested in their place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. T talk a little bit about Ann Arbor because yeah. Ann Arbor is. Um, you know, a, a great example of good, good design, good layout, good bones, fantastic place. Talk a little bit about it in, con in contrast to maybe the other stuff that you you've seen. So, like the Detroit area. Well, yeah, just, and just the just places anywhere? you were describing. You know, as like I don't want to be here. Oh right. Yeah. Well, I, I think I. I, I guess it's like why Ann Arbor? Why? I mean, is it is work related? Okay. But it, basically, yeah. And, and again, that was just 
kind of a chance thing. You know, I, I happened to get a job out there. I wasn't seeking to move out there. I think I resisted Ann Arbor for a while. I just didn't really like that college town atmosphere that much for some reason. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like to go record shopping there, but, it, you know, I, it just wasn't my place. And then, it, you know, after I was working there, it kind of slowly began to grow on me. And I think, it, again, you know, I came from sort of a blue-collar, working-class background, and um, it seemed a little intimidating. It was... Oh, you know, sure. The, no, the, I grasped that. Academic oh, yeah. and uh, elite folks that, right. that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the downtown is pretty fully activated. Um, it's obviously a very wealthy place. It's a highly educated place. And so, you know, we, my wife and I, you know, three years ago, we bought a house on the, the kind of the fringe. I think it was described as the down market side of Ann Harbor. Um, so, you know, we're a little bit removed from the, the kind of cool downtown stuff. And, right. But, you know, I, I guess that that's our little bit of potential that, you know, in our area we can try to build on um, this. Because it was actually a, a separate municipality at one time called East Ann Arbor. It was annexed you know, oh, in sure, the 40s sure. or 50s. It, doesn't really have, it didn't really have its own downtown. There was a small commercial strip that's a, a, about a block away from me, but it's kind of a, it's on a strode, you know, just... It's it's got one of these parking lots, which itself is almost like a sub road off of the main road. Yeah, you know, and it's so there's a lot of pavement, and but there's some interesting businesses in there, kind of ethnic grocers, and there's a there's this cool. Uh, my neighbors opened up a brewery and improv theater. How do you it's feel? It's kind of in a strip mall, so it's just. Oh, okay. Well, it's a it's a <laughs> start. It's a, it's a start. start. How do you feel like this place has has changed? Are you, and let me ask it like this: Are you are you because when when we come here as new urbanists, there's a there's a sense of kind of optimism uh, and and a little bit of wonder about this place. I mean, you you look at this opulent building right. that we're in, you see it's underutilized, but yet, I mean, I've been here five times in the last few years, and mm-hmm. I've seen just in the little bit of time that I've been coming here, enormous amounts of of change to the positive. I I, I wonder as someone who has been here through it. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to you? Are, are you are you feeling optimistic? Are you seeing a lot more warts than maybe the the starry eyed outsider is seeing? You know, what what do you see? Well, I, yeah, I think I'm optimistic. Um, obviously, there are some people who may have valid critical points about it. I mean, a lot of this is in terms of race and you know opportunity for everyone, and not just the new people that might be moving in. Maybe. You know, I, which I think is necessary. We do need people to move back in, but uh, you know, so you know, because a lot of the businesses are very high end, you know, like the Will's Leather Goods and you know, Shinola Store and the restaurants. It's catering to an is it, is upper it, class market. Do you feel like it's in some ways losing its blue collar? Well, I, I think it probably already lost a lot of its blue right. collar anyway. So right. I, I mean, it's got to reinvent itself somehow. I guess it's you know, kind of trying to build on that heritage somewhat sure. with some of its branding and that's fascinating you know, imported from Detroit and all this stuff right um, so yeah I think I'm excited about it you know I there was the Detroit future uh, presentation here yesterday in the in the main auditorium um, I think the people in that organization kind of get get it and I think you know in terms of like we have a lot of wide roads here wide boulevards and avenues and I think they kind of understand that that's harmful and as as uh, Mariel was saying about St. Louis, you know, 
these cars probably aren't coming back. <laughs> Whatever they were right. built for, you right. know, do we need six lanes going? One direction with no cars. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's... I'm, I'm hopeful that they will start addressing the wideness of the roads and, you know, st- start getting more transportation options. There's the... Um, there's the, I guess, a bill that we're voting on in the fall, a, transpor- a regional transportation bill with bus rapid transit and a commuter rail that would reach out to Ann Arbor. And I'm, I'm hoping that passes. If yeah. Not, it'd be de- kind of demoralizing. Right. Good. A- Andrew, tell us, uh, tell us who you are, where you're from, and, and, and a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Andy Walker. I'm uh, actually a fourth-generation Detroiter. So my great-grandmother owned a boarding house in the Corktown District. And uh, so I grew up in the city, went to the Detroit uh, schools, uh, went to Wayne State University, got a master's in urban planning. I was a very early Jane Jacobs fan. Really? Okay. Uh, especially Economy of Cities. Yeah. So uh, Actually, and, my favorite. Yes, I think it's the best. It's, it's, it's great because everybody likes, you know, the life and death, but I'm... The economy of cities is the action. I mean, that was to me like her intellectual pinnacle in many ways. And there's a lot about Detroit and about the life cycle. Yes, very so much so. Yeah. So I, that's probably partly why I like it. I'm also a pretty much of a free market guy. So when I got my degree, uh, jobs were hard to get here. So I became a city planner in Houston. Really? Uh, and I went to Houston because there's no zoning. I wanted to see how that worked. Yeah, that's probably a discussion for a much longer discussion. <laughs> How long were you in Houston? I was in, well, I was in that job for three years. Okay. And then I became a planner for AT&T. So I was a corporate planner for AT&T. So I built any kind of data network you have heard about. I, I did the planning for DSL, the video services. So uh, the good thing about that is uh, at the time it was Southwestern Bell. So uh, I was in Little Rock many times. I lived in St. Louis twice. Uh, been to San Antonio countless number of times. Yeah. So all of these towns are like very familiar to me. As a matter of fact, uh, when I got close to the end of my career, I wanted to uh, move back to Detroit, and my wife wanted to live in St. Louis. I got to tell you. So great. What? What? Why? I want to know from you why the pull here? Just because it's home? Well, it's home. Of course, I had an interest in cities. And uh, every year we would come back to visit my parents in, in the area. And um, it was a pretty painful experience because every year you would come back and you would see it get worse. Yeah. And you just kind of thought, man, I'd like to be part of the solution ever if it ever comes around. Yeah. So that was really the motivation. So I uh, uh, came here a few years before I retired. By that time, I had one of those jobs where you could work anywhere. Sure. And uh, so we, you know, came back to the city, and uh, I'm kind of at the point now. I want to find out what I'm doing, which is why I got interested in the conference. And also, um, I listen. I, like I said, I, I'm pretty interested in economics. So I heard your interview with uh, Russ Roberts. With Russ, Russ Roberts. Yeah, I said, yeah. Man, that sounds like it's right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many people have come to Strong Towns through that Russ Roberts interview. Right. Yeah. 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 How, I'm going to ask the same question of you sure. that I asked of Ian. Do you do you share in the the starry-eyed optimism that many of us coming here have, or are you, you know, I I, I look at my hometown, and I don't see the the the. 
it sometimes takes an outsider to come in and point out all the good mm -hmm. because I remember like this used to be the old theater and now it's a parking lot. Right. This used to be this beautiful building and now it's a parking lot. This used to be a really nice street with stores and now it's pawn shops and, and, uh, you know, sex places. And I, I, it's, 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 it's tough for me to kind of wade through my memories to see the optimism. Uh, I, tell me about your, do you struggle with the same thing? Or? Oh yeah, absolutely. I can, I, I give a lot of tours and I call it the good, bad and the ugly tour. So yeah. I, I can do, you know, any role I can play. Um, but one of the things I noticed is a lot of the people who are coming into town don't have the baggage. That's what I call it. Of when you've been here all your life, like you say, you, you know what all these things were and now they're not what you wanted them to be. A lot of other people I've met come in and see the opportunity and say, whoa, you mean I could get a, a property for this much money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, and, man, it looks like things are really happening. So I, when I first came back, it was right when we were going through the, uh, uh, the bankruptcy. Right. We had the mayor who was corrupt. To me, uh, we kind of got through that. I was kind of wondering how it was going to work out. But the, you can't uh, get much crazier than that. Oh, it's un unbelievable. Yeah. But now it's, I say it's incredibly exciting. The, the big question, Mark, is uh, I think like in northern Minnesota, you have an industry that's in decline. And here we're still very dependent on the automobile industry. It's, um, and it employed a lot of people. So trying to get uh, different industries uh, is the challenge. But... Really, there's so much revolution in technology and communications. I see a lot of companies coming in, like uh, Toyota, Toyota, Uber. Uh, all these people are saying, "Hey, we got to talk with the uh, car companies because we're going to do sharing and everything else." And they're also thinking about, well, what's going to happen to the city when people don't have to drive as much? Right. And all the things about you know re uh, reducing the size of streets. Uh, I mean, like you said, the streets are unbelievably wide, but to me, they're opportunities too. To do something with it. Is the is is there? A, it, we talked a little bit with Ian about the the blue collar, white collar, and and some of that transition. You know, I I I step back and I look back, and I don't want to make our podcast here political, but I think a lot of our discourse at the federal level and kind of the craziness that it's become is in a way uh, this tension over blue collar jobs and the fact that. You know, two generations ago, these used to be the kind of jobs that a single person could support a family. And now they're the kind of jobs where you need two of them with two people working to support that same family. How much tension is there that, that you see? You, you gave me a book. I'm so excited to read it. How much tension is there about this, this transition in Detroit, you know, with a lot of the energy being kind of younger professionals? Well, there certainly is that. And, and one of the uh, columnists for the, well, the major paper even made an observation about a year ago. He said, well, where are all the black people downtown? Yeah. And, and so that really got a lot of discussion going, and it was really a good thing. Um, I think part of it is there are really more blue-collar opportunities, but they're in kind of like high-tech. Uh, so uh, CNC, uh, uh, welders, uh, we can't get people... The jobs are there, but you can't get the people who have the educational skills. And the, the, the school systems tend to all have the track of a college track. Right. It's a mentality. So you, you talk to the people in the trades and say, 
we'd like to get more people, but they've been turned off by their counselors. That, that this is not a, a a good career path. And that's a really tough conversation because I've I've heard people say, well, you know, we need more of we need more of these highest skilled, highly trained blue collar workers. Um, there's this kind of I think um, social pushback saying, well. <laughs> Why, you know, why would you settle for that? Right. Why, you know, why, why shouldn't we like aspire to, to hire things for everybody? And it, it kind of puts us in a position where, I mean, I see this in my hometown where we have a lot of people who leave right away and go on, but a lot of people who stay and it winds up to be one of those bifurcation moments yes. because what is missing is everything in the middle that we really ignore in a sense. Certainly. What Nassim Taleb calls what the barbell. The barbell, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, the barbell in a negative way. Right, right. But there's a lot of people, you know. They, if you talk to folks, you'll hear them say, "We make stuff here. We know how to bend metal." Yeah. And we really do. So yeah. The only other town I can think of is like that is Houston. You know, they uh, they really know how to do that. And uh, if you, a lot of people have places up north like you're familiar with in uh, Minnesota. They have cottages. Yeah. So on the Chicago side, which would be Lake Michigan, I'm not, I'm not sure what they call that, but on the Lake Huron side, they call that the Blue Collar Coast. Oh, okay. It, you know, it's because it's that tradition of, yeah, you could have a job, but it's, they're also proud of it. So I, I don't think it's much as much of attention as some folks do. Good, yeah. good. I, I, I want to uh, start back with, with Jill. I, I, I'd like to, in the like 10 minutes or so we've got left, Talk a little bit about uh, strong towns and just, I, I guess what I would like to know or like to hear is what matters the most? Like what, what are the things that we do that actually help you, uh, you know, do what you're trying to do the most? Like what, what, what's the role that you think we can play the best? Um, one, sp- one specific. And I'm going to, this time I am going to have you just okay. hold it and actually get it. So one one go. particular challenge that I'm dealing with right now in Bryant that strong towns and the the messaging that's coming out from strong towns that gives credibility to what I'm asking for from the state DOT we have two highways that go through our city and one was widened in the 90s to four lane middle turn lane wide very little development has taken a, uh, as much growth as we've had in Bryant very little development has taken place along that and that's where the historic downtown area is the potential for it that never built out we have another highway that they're they've planned to do the exact same thing to in a year or two and um and that's where all the growth has happened it's a two-lane highway um so everybody's anticipating this they're anticipating this you know it's bottleneck because of you know we all know the reasons it's bottlenecking but um but but in that conversation with the dot asking for narrow lanes a divided median, wider sidewalks, get rid of the grass strip, get rid of the divided median, um, tree line the streets. Um, the conversation around how that affects the economy of Bryant, because that is our, that is our, it's become our main street. Bryant has built out around this state highway, and now they're going to, they want to come in and just blow it all out. And in tw- it'll be fine for a year or two, five years maybe, but 20, 30 years from now, there won't be anything there. It'll be it'll just right. be completely blown out. So we've had really really strong conversations around that um, going on almost three years now with the state DOT and the work that Strong Towns is doing. That conversation over and over and over again, and giving examples across the country to where this hasn't worked, and we've retrofitted things, and we're we're 
changing these highways that are built exactly like the Arkansas DOT is, is getting ready to build this highway out is really given leverage to that. So I think that's, that's one of the most important things that, that Strong Towns is doing is giving local leaders an opportunity to, you know, give examples over and over because sometimes we get really siloed. Right. And, um, and well, so it's you're, just, you're, you're it's breaking the mold. If you don't do these things, right? Correct. And that's so backward. It, yes. And yes. yeah, I, I, I really find um, a, a lot of public officials will tell me that. They're like, I, we're, we're pressured to do things we know are really dumb. Mm-hmm. And really harmful, but we don't have a, a, a language to talk about it differently. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So they're wanting a you know forty five mile per hour drive zone. There's two there's two red lights. You can't get up to speed that fast. Even it doesn't matter how right. wide it is. You can't go. There's a curb cut every fifty feet. Right. You can't go that fast. <laughs> it doesn't <Yeah>. matter. <laughs> but if you did, it would be really dangerous. It would yeah. be. Yeah. It would be. Yeah. Kevin, grab the grab the mic. Um, the same same thing. Uh, you know, strong towns. What you, you obviously, uh, you know, have a, have a little bit different role than the mayor. <laughs> from 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 where you're sitting, what uh, what are we doing? Why why are you involved in strong towns? What what is it about our conversation that has you know prompted you to become a member and and be part of what we're doing? Uh, so so I had uh, you know I've been riding. I started riding bicycles when I was in Panama and started commuting by bike, and um, and then having lived in 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 Europe and, and Asia, um, started to really begin to appreciate um, the ability to walk to every place from your house and, um, and ride every place from your house. Um, and so one of the, you know, it's just, it's, in, it's a much better quality of life um, and not just for bicycle racing, but it's just a much better quality of life in, in an environment where um, the speed of life is slower. And so one of the differences that I noticed in, uh, say, in, in, um, in Europe and Japan um, is that, uh, that the urban areas have a maximum speed limit of um, 50 kilometers per hour, 30 miles per hour. And I think that really contributes a lot to the quality of life in those cities. It makes walking pleasant. It makes it, you know, because things are slower, things are closer, and so therefore they support that type of lifestyle better. Um, and coming back to San Antonio, um, you know, we, we are not built for a 30-mile-per-hour life. And, uh, and so kind of with the opportunity of my wife going on city council um, and, you know, like her perspective was, had changed a lot from the time that we moved um, out from, from a house in the, in the suburbs, basically, to, to the city like she also starts changing in perspective and and really wants to be able to walk and so you know what strong towns really contributes is um the support structure to make um a fiscal argument for that lifestyle and and to really be able to say you know the the idea of um controlled access to every point in the city a controlled access roads to every point in the city and 45 mile per hour arterials um, to every point in the city just doesn't make sense for a quality of life perspective. And but there's also a huge fiscal impact. And you know, in kind of going around Detroit, I've been I've been riding my bike around Detroit the last few days, and you see, um, and there's a lot of vacant land. Um, 
So they sort of have almost a clean slate. They've got this grid structure, at least in the areas I've been. They have a really great grid structure. Um, the roads are too wide, but the roads are too wide in San Antonio. And so in our master, we're going through a comprehensive planning process right now. Um, and there's, a, there's an intent to increase the walk score from 34 to 61 sure. over the next 20 years or whatever. Um, but then the strategies are road improvements that, <laughs> right. include, that include, you know, widening this road, and yeah, whatever, but making it beautiful, wider right. yet beautiful. Right. And we'll put in like, decorative lights. That will, that will do the trick. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure how that comes together, Yeah, but probably what we really need is a strategy for, uh, for divesting right of way yeah. and divesting pavement. Um, so I knew I liked you a lot when you asked me last night about the urban, urban stroke, urban freeways. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you challenged me intellectually and I, I thought about it a lot. I still haven't f fully come to an answer to your question, but you said, you know, what your argument, Chuck, is that local streets at very slow speeds are very safe. Uh, and, and interstates or highways at very high speeds are very safe. But in San Antonio, we have these, uh, you know, urban interstates that are not safe. Uh, a lot of people die. What, you know, what say you? And I don't, I, I love the question because it, it actually took the, 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 the next step intellectually. And I, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit or not, but. Right. I thought that was gr I thought that was a great, it was obvious to me that you've read our stuff and been thinking about it a lot. Certainly, yeah, and you know, um, so San Antonio, uh, uh, my wife is has leading the initiative for San Antonio to become a Vision Zero city, which means zero fatalities and zero um, serious injuries from from traffic, um, and it's it's been adopted by city council, um, and we're, you know, I would say in the process right now, really trying to change the internal culture of city staff and to be able to start to address the, the actions that are going to really be needed to, it, to deliver that. But um, in the military, 24 years in the military, I don't remember a single traffic fatality on a military installation. We lost a lot of airmen off base. Right. But on base, I don't remember a single fatality. Right. Um, and we've started trying to find the numbers. You know, San Antonio's got um, five military installations. And on those installations... You know, so San Antonio's got a higher than national average traffic fatality rate, but on those installations, it's essentially zero. And so it's the same people driving in the city, driving on the bases, and there's no fatalities on the bases. The difference is speed. You know, there's, I know there's a cultural difference. There's, in the military, there's you follow Natural the rules, compliance. right? Be, right, because <laughs> because the know, MPs will pull you over, and, and you, your company commander will find out. Right, and it you will don't get not a fine. Good. Right, you get to go visit your commander. Yeah, and the first sergeant and your supervisor. And so there's you see the whole chain. Right, when you get a when you get a ticket for doing ten miles an hour of speed limit. Right, and so there is compliance, but but ultimately the physical difference, the physics behind it is there's less energy in a collision. Right, and so. San Antonio and any city could really achieve zero fatalities by reducing travel speed in the city mm -hmm. and, um, and could probably achieve zero fatalities by, by doing that. But how you get that compliance um, is going to be in engineering and design more so than enforcement 
because um, we're probably not going to get commanders. We see that that doesn't work. Right. Well. You know, you're not going to have command structures in right. in civilian life. Although, you know, I'm a militant. And <laughs> I would find that probably useful. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, I I was in the guard. I know what you're talking about, Marielle. Um, strong towns. What what you're you're one of the, you're one of our earliest <laughs> members. One of our earliest readers. What, what what is it? What is it meant to you? How does it help you? Um, I think that what really struck me about Strong Towns was the way that you so clearly laid out the finances behind the planning and engineering world, which I was in. But, you know, you always you make a very good point. We really don't ever get to see the numbers as planners and engineers. And then when you look at it, it makes absolutely no sense. And the other thing that's really that Strong Towns has really helped me with is living in a city that has been in a region that's been in a pretty much continuous decline and that literally has the national symbol for why silver bullet projects don't work. You know, we have the Pruitt-Igo site. Mm-hmm. We're still searching for the next silver bullet and we're still saying, you know, anything that isn't this huge scale silver bullet project, anything that might be small like a bicycle lane is not a serious proposal. It's to, us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a serious proposal to our problems. Don't you see our problems? They're way beyond anything you can do by having pop-up retail, you know, that's just stupid. And so I think that uh, Strong Towns has really helped give me the language to say, no, it's actually the only way we'll ever come back. And it's the only thing that we can do and that we can afford to do. And every time we chase a silver bullet, we just get further into the hole. Mm -hmm. How how is the, and I don't mean to bring up any like festering (laughs) issues, but the, the whole conversation with the Rams now leaving and having the stadium where yeah. you still owe debt. Do you think that in an optimistic way that will be a wake-up call? Like where we say, well, we don't want to ever do that again. Or is it even make you more desperate to, we got to go bigger I, next time? Yeah, I mean, I would, I, w- I would love to say I think it's a wake-up call. I think for, the, for a lot of citizens, for a lot of um, people on the ground, it's been a huge wake-up call for, uh, for our people in our government, the people in our cities, it's not been a wake-up call, which yeah. is very frustrating. We have an election coming up, and I'm hoping that that will, you know, it'll come back uh, to bite everyone, right. and that we'll have a change in the conversation, but it seems like the, like, you know, know, it's like, the, the, that? the culture that we yeah. need to change is the culture of expecting these public officials mm-hmm. to you know, do the, like the mega project is doing something. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing is no one really wanted the polls for the stadium were horrible. You know, something like 70% of St. Louisians were against the stadium. The county just said no, because their county exec is um, an accountant. And he was like, well, this is stupid. We're out. Right. And uh, so it was really just the mayor pushing for it and some aldermen, but there wasn't popular support. What I find really disappointing is as soon as we didn't get it, they started saying, well, now we need to renovate our stadium and turn it into this huge convention center because, you know, obviously we're going to eclipse Memphis or whoever has the biggest convention center. (laughs) We (laughs) We need to get into that losing game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we're, you know, right now St. Louis is so proud because they got the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency to relocate from within the city on the banks of the river that's going to get flooded due to uh, global warming, they're now just relocating to uh, the north side of the town and Pruitt I- 
the Pruitt Igo site partially, but also eminent domaining houses. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's all of the same stuff. Oh, this is going to save our city. You know, we're going to have all these millennials working at the NGA site and then going downtown. And it's, but instead they're just blocking off all of this land, uh, you know, creating a huge super block and a huge dead zone in the middle of a neighborhood. It's, so they haven't learned anything. Ian. And oh, wow, you guys, uh, I was going to let him use my mic again. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about, you know, you, you, you're the blue collar background guy, not, uh, not an ape. We call the apes the architects, planners, engineers. Oh, okay. What is the, uh, what, what's the, yeah, you're a non-ape, which we love non-apes. Okay, great. What, what is it that brought you to, to this conversation, to Strong Towns? Yeah, I, I feel like a, a major theme in my life, and maybe I'm not alone in that, is kind of the the search for quality of life, and kind of trying to understand how do we, how do I achieve quality of a good quality of life, and then, you know, not to be selfish, but how does how do we have kind of maximum quality of life for everyone? And I feel like Strong Towns has a focus on that, and it's got the kind of do the numbers, it it, it can back it up, so it's. You know, it's nice for me to see this kind of aesthetically appealing, you know, human scale environment that also has kind of metrics behind it. Yeah. Um, and I actually have a fine art background. That's, that's what I got my degree in at Wayne State. So, you know, aesthetics are kind of important to me. And I, I feel like, you know, why is America so ugly? You know, that, that was the working title of <laughs> why is America so bleeping ugly is the, is Kunstler's uh, working title for yes. geography of nowhere. So, yeah. You know, it, it, it's ugly to me, but, you know, I was always, you know, whenever we would travel as a kid and, you know, you'd, you'd get into that asteroid belt of, you know, fast food and I would always kind of get this growing sense of excitement as we got close to the old part of the town because I was so curious about that. The rest of it was just kind of junk, right? you know, noise. Right. Um, so, you know, I, the strong towns, you know, just kind of came on my radar. I think it was actually through the consular, the first time you were on the counselor cast yeah, when yeah. Duncan Crary was was still on it oh yeah and uh I thought okay and just mental note you know back burner and I, I kept seeing your stuff pop up you know and I don't know if you were promoting it more or what yeah but I, you know I everything that was on there I was like oh this looks great I, I gotta read this and cool. kind of a I don't know so I, I guess you know the arc of my life is long but it bends toward strong towns <laughs> and urbanism so <laughs> You know, I want to, I feel like I'm still at the early stages of understanding, you know, what, what the site has to offer and what, you know, what you're going to do next and then try to figure out how I can apply that to my life, to making my own neighborhood better. You know, I, I feel like Ann Arbor, it's, it's a tough canvas because it's so filled up with paint. Right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 But, you know, I do live. But you're next to the blank canvas. In, I do. In Detroit in a way. Right. Right. And there's yeah. still improvements because in about a mile from where I live, there's this corridor called Washtenaw Avenue, and it goes between the college towns of uh, Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti, where mm -hmm. eastern Michigan is. And there's this, you know, big scheme called Reimagine Washtenaw, and it's in its very early stages. And so that's something that, uh, you know, obviously affects me being so close to it. it. You know, I want it to proceed pretty much as it's been presented. I think some, you know, pretty smart people put that out there. But of course, everybody's, you know, they're detractors and skeptics and mm -hmm. NIMBYs and, yeah, yeah. and trolls and, yeah. <laughs> you know. So we'll see. Andy, you, you, I found your story fascinating. Detroit to Houston, everywhere in between. What, 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 what brought you to Strong Towns? Why are you here? Why, why are we chatting today? What's, what's the pull for you? Well, 
remember in the after I was a city planner, I worked for AT and T for a long time building inf- infrastructure. Yeah. So, the good thing about working for a company that actually has to compete and to pay shareholders is you do have a very strong economic sense of <laughs> yeah. of your mission. It's you very gotta, different. A, a, a private utility is very different than a public utility. And yeah. and we were in the age where we deregulated everything, so a lot of things were going on. But the main thing is you, you had to look at the economics very carefully. And I just noticed that uh, that that was like almost like a uh, a missing topic, and I always questioned the the assumptions b- behind the whatever the business case was for whatever the project was wherever I lived. And I said, I know that's not working. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think so. When I came to Strong Towns, I heard the you know the interview started. Boy, this is like right up my alley. Yeah. These people actually get it. And aside from all the aesthetic issues and the other things we talk about, it was the, it was the, the uh, financial. Uh, kicker for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we've, we've gone a little bit long. <laughs> I've got uh, Jeanette coming up next, which is really exciting. I know she saw her, she walked by. So I hope you stick around if you can and, and catch that. But thank you so much for doing this. This has been a lot of fun. I think we should do this every year. And uh, thank you for being members of Strong Towns. It's so, it's so humbling for me to meet people who have actually I'm going to be a member of this organization. So just thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, everybody. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.